Welcome to Westside Podcast. Each week, we'll take a relevant topic under the microscope to see what the Bible has to say about it. You will gain tools and information you need to support your faith walk and build Christ-centered families in Kansas City and beyond. I'm your host, Troy Kennedy. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to another Westside Podcast with Randy Frazee. Hey. My good friend over here. We have had quite a season on the podcast, and uh, we've talked through some topics you don't always get to talk about. We talked about kenosis. You got got functional kenosis and ontological kenosis, which is... I learned some new words, and uh-huh. it's been pretty fun. Um, we talked about the problem of pain this season, atonement theory, what it actually got accomplished at the cross. We've talked about the Trinity and actually why a belief in the Trinity is truly important for yeah. all of us. And uh, and then we talked about providence and this yeah. idea, does God control everything? Yeah. You've heard the songs, you know, God yeah. is in control. What does that actually mean yeah. for all of us? And today, we, based on your questions, we're going to be doing a little bit of a Q&A on a few different topics. It'll be a little bit shorter, but still really important things we want to talk about. Yeah. And so, Randy, I sure appreciate you and your wisdom and willingness to kind of jump in here. I know yeah. you've had a lot of words today with a lot of people. I and... have. It's been a long day, and I got my A2 community tonight, which I'm excited about we're, as we're going through the new Fit to Fight series. And uh, But I love doing this and so grateful for the uh, number of people that yeah. are not only listening to it, but sharing it from all over the place. I get, I get to hear from a bunch of you. And this is, gives us an environment for two theology geeks uh, <laughs> to connect with you on stuff that we just don't ever have the margin right. to do. And so right. We just go, mm-hmm. we start riffing, and uh, and uh, we don't really pay much attention to the time. And uh, <laughs> It kind of works we, out. We probably yeah, need to, but it's okay. But it just gives us an environment where we don't have to rush it, mm-hmm. put it into a soundbite, and right. uh, we hope that, well, we know you appreciate it, and you've been watching, and I just want to encourage you to share it with others. Yeah. And this one's more of a popcorn thing, so yeah. it could be kind of cool. Kind of fun. And we've been hearing, too, of people who have been utilizing the, the podcast kind of as an evergreen resource. Mm-hmm. You know, there are topics yeah. we dealt with, for instance, in the first season, the sanctity of life, the sanctity of marriage, mm-hmm. ju- justice for the poor, r- racial reconciliation, all these different topics that are important and things they don't normally uh, get um, maybe robustly addressed on a Sunday morning might right. get referred to. We've had people coming into Westside who are brand new to the church and they're wondering, well, what do you believe about the end times? Well, mm-hmm. I've got a whole hour plus of us talking about the end times mm-hmm. and you can hear our teaching pastor talk about this in, at some length. And mm-hmm. so um, I encourage you to use that resource. And, and although we're available on iTunes, we're available on Spotify, just about anywhere you get your podcasts. One really wonderful thing, if you are a Westsider is the West side app, mm-hmm. which you can download, you can get on our phone. And there's actually, if you go yeah. into the grow area, there's a button there for all the West Side podcasts in their uh, subjective order. So you can look at them, you can refer to them, you can pass them on to your friends. That's a really easy way to find this. Yeah. West Side app is just cool for a whole bunch of reasons yeah. uh, beyond even our podcasts. You yeah. know, in Believe terms it of, or not, right? Yeah, I know. I can't imagine a cooler Maybe. reason, but sure. It's there's good. other stuff there too. Yeah. So <laughs> anyway, we want to start off with something Randy has opted to open us up here with the topic. Well, we've kind of maybe alluded to here and there over time, but maybe to give us a little bit more clarity on this idea. So should I date an unbeliever is a question we hear all the time, yeah. especially from uh, our young adults. And so what, what's your take on that? That's a great 
a great question, and uh, I want to address the issue from a biblical perspective, but also kind of connect first with uh, the tension that a lot of singles have, um, you know, with the nature of society. When when Roseanne and I uh, were teenagers, mm-hmm. we went to a small church of about 350 people, and there was a sense that, you know, you kind of find your mate when you're young, right. and uh, so it was a youth group of about 40 kids, and, mm-hmm. you know, I was fortunate to find Roseanne in that space. And then you go to college, and then that's a really great place, you know, right. to, 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 to date, to find a believer uh, that you or you know you could marry and then but if you don't get married and find that mate you know and right. at, at after the college ring well, now you're going on to the workplace mm-hmm. and uh, you're busy and there's just really a hard place to find you know a right. large body of uh, of people to mm-hmm. date you know and uh, you know we, we've seen this with our older kids that are single and so that pool gets right. dropped really low right. and then you get into things things like eHarmony and mm-hmm. and uh, you know whatever the other ones are there's a bunch of dating apps but the there, dating yeah. apps and so you know it, so I'm, I want to be sympathetic you know toward that challenge of uh, of, uh, of of the dating world and uh, you know I essentially never really you know I dated Roseanne at 15, which which we went out, which <laughs> right. means since I was 15, it means we sat together in church. Right. And so, you know, I was never really in that scene, so I want to be mm-hmm. really super sympathetic toward the challenges of that. Now, from a biblical perspective, um, it's pretty clear. Mm-hmm. The answer is no. Right. Uh, and the reason is not because God is punitive, God's, God's a cosmic killjoy, but uh, the scripture says, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that when you bring uh, two people together that ultimately have two foundational value sets, uh, that ultimately, and you're yoked together, the idea of two oxen right. you know, that are plowing a field, trying to do life, trying to get work done, and uh, the one ox wants to go one way, the other ox wants to go another mm-hmm. way when you hit a problem, and you're yoked together, uh, you're going to go one way right and there's going to be a lot of tension there and what's going to happen is that you're going to end up being forced to go in a direction that's completely against your faith lead you in a very dark place and god's wanting to not keep you from something he's wanting to save you Mm -hmm. uh for for something something. and uh now uh in the event in first corinthians 7 in the event that you end up getting married to somebody who's Mm -hmm. not a believer you don't now as a and you become a believer you don't get the opportunity to just divorce them the scriptures encourages you to stay with them unless they decide to leave you Uh, or you maybe you were already married and then one of you you becomes a believer and paul is saying hey don't just leave them because they don't believe the same thing that's right because you're saying but now i'm i'm I've become a believer now. I'm unequally yoked. Well, mm-hmm. uh, you'd say, well, no, no. The, the scripture is very clear in First Corinthians to not. Uh, right. d- but but if the if that if that person leaves you, that's a different story. Right. And so the the answer to the question is no. And uh, and uh, I think a lot of times uh, somebody might say. Uh, listen, I'm going to date them, and I may be their only source to become a believer. I would say separate those two topics. You know, the right. person's the person's salvation and your mate are two totally different topics. Right. Do not use that precious um, covenant of marriage right. to bring someone to the Lord. Right. The missionary dating. The missionary kind of dating. Of yeah. yeah don't do, don't do that. I've never or hardly it's ever seen the, that. It's uh, the twilight version of it. It's like you know, I know there's good in him, so you date him because you're going to rescue him. But it but rarely works out that way. Yeah, and you know, I've been married for 40 years now and you're uh, uh 25 years. 25 years so we got you know a bunch of 75 years of right. going here and uh mm-hmm. you know marriage just is is hard you know right. it takes a lot of negotiation a lot of uh, right. uh a, 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 a lot of work and uh but Roseanne and I have always been able to come back 
to that yeah. same foundation which we've both continued to grow in mm -hmm. and it's just made life really really sweet right. for us and we don't feel super compromised at right. all in our deal and and god wants that kind of peace for you yeah. so if you decide to date an unbeliever and uh <laughs> and then and you get married um i mean you know I mean, all hell can break yeah. loose in your home, and we've seen a lot of devastation over my 32 years mm -hmm. of being in ministry. Boy, so I have a lot of sympathy for people, too, in that position. Because I mean, I, I didn't get married till I was 32. Mm -hmm. So I spent all of my 20s as mm -hmm. a single guy and living in Los Angeles. And, you know, I, I wanted to meet girls who shared my faith, mm -hmm. all right? I mean, but that, that was... That was hard to do. Mm -hmm. It was hard to do because you know, especially as you're out of college and everything, you know. And there's some kind of sometimes there's singles groups in churches. Sometimes not. A lot of churches don't do have singles things kind of at all. Yeah. And so if you're looking like, especially I've, we deal with young adults at Westside, young women who are they like they actually they would really like to get married and they would like to start a family and you know, and they're where they're left. Where do I look? Mm -hmm. You know. And some of them they just wind up looking at you know in Kansas City a place called Power Light District where you know young adults get together and there's all these bars. There's the Cowboy Bar and everything. And they go down there and they meet other people and I've seen it happen a number of times yeah. where they wind up you know unequally yoked, for lack of a better word. They're dating somebody who they don't share a worldview with. Yeah. And the thing that I, ch I tell our young adults is this, look, marriage is about intimacy. It's about, it's about being relationally intimate, uh, vulnerable, financially vulnerable, spiritually vulnerable. You're vulnerable in all these different ways, and, and you're intimate in all these ways, but you don't share intimacy on the most important questions in life. Yeah. What you believe about the purpose of life. Is there a God? Is there not a God? How are we going to raise our kids? Are we going to raise our kids to, have to be kids of faith? I mean, all the, the biggest questions in your life, you, you can't share. And it just seems tragic not to be intimate at the deepest possible so level. So you either go shallow or you just live in conflict. Right. And... Um, you know, I uh, I think this comes back uh, again before we move on to an important question for single people, which is the identity in Christ question, to know mm -hmm. who you are in Christ. Yeah. Because I think sometimes you feel like when you're dating, you're like, this may be the best I can do, or, uh, you know, right. I'm, I'm going to settle, or, you know, and, and you don't feel good about yourself. You right. want to feel strong about yourself in Christ so that, uh, you know, you're healthy mm -hmm. to enter into a relationship and you don't settle for someone who doesn't know Christ. Right. You know, uh, Troy, I had a... Uh, this happened to me many times, but I remember one guy who was actually a really financially successful dude. It was actually his dad who was really successful and uh, and owned an insurance company in Arlington. And uh, he he came to the – everyone knew him because he was kind of a gigolo in our town, drew a really fast car. And he was dating this really pretty girl, and they were going to get married, and they came and asked me if I would marry them. And, uh, and, and this guy wasn't a believer, and he wanted to get baptized. And uh, and uh, I got to, I got I saw the look on her face like I think I'm doing the wrong thing here. He bought me a BMW. He did. He bought a brand new BMW. Oh I'm like, gosh. okay, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> and uh, finally, I got I said, hey, listen, she's not she's not ready to get married, but I want you and I hang out. Right. And so we started hanging out, and he confessed to me, yeah, I did the whole baptism thing just to marry her. I was not interested in the Jesus thing. Wow. And he, and and so we, we and there's a lot of guys. Mm -hmm. There's an episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> where <laughs> Everything could, comes back to Seinfeld. Yeah, I know. Yeah. He, he becomes he's he's, he's going to convert to Latvian Orthodox, <laughs> which is not even a real 
deal right. uh, they're making up, and he's cheating on his test to pass, and, and, and his whole deal is like, I'll believe whatever you want me to believe, I just want the woman, uh-huh. and uh, I just think that there's a lot of that going on. So right. you got to have your identity in Christ solved, right. settled, and that's, I think, the initiative we're doing right now, right. And, and, and I know this is an evergreen product but uh, here mm-hmm. this podcast, but right now we're doing yada.com for mm-hmm. singles, and uh, you can go to yada.com and take an assessment that will kind of help you understand kind of who you are and how beautiful you are mm-hmm. and uh, who you are in Christ that I think would be a, a yeah. good place for you to start to make sure that you are you're healthy to enter into a relationship and uh, you have the the courage and the faith foundation uh, to believe that God's saving you for something and it is not an unbeliever right and I would say this you know no deal is better than the wrong deal mm-hmm. you know people think you know well if I only I get married then I'm gonna I'm gonna be happy or I'm gonna be this or I'm that mm-hmm. and it's like look marriage is amazing it's a wonderful thing and it's the way we are we are meant to live but in one sense, you are exchanging one set of problems for a new set of problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there are problems being single that are real. There are problems being married that are real. Marriage is not there to make you happy. It's, it's there to make you holy. You're going to have moments when you're happy mm-hmm. and you're married and moments mm-hmm. where you're really, really not. And being single, it's the same thing. There are moments when you're very satisfied and content and times when you're not. So rather than feel like marriage is the solution or some some order of salvation mm-hmm. it's just like look be the person be the you know always just say if you want a princess you got to be a prince right mm-hmm. be the person find your identity in Christ figure out who you are mm-hmm. your calling function in that and in my experience god tends to intersect with your path way out of your blind spot you know usually the thing you're pursuing the girl, the relationship, the the guy, whoever it is, is really pro- generally. It's not always the thing you think it is. Garth and, Brooks says that. I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. You no, know, Garth Brooks says that famous song. Uh, I thank God for unanswered prayers. Exactly. And it was basically right. about this girl he wanted to marry, and right. he ended up not marrying her. Mm-hmm. Meets her up later after he had been married, and he goes like, "Wow, yeah. thank God for unanswered." You prayer. didn't know the bullet that you dodged. That's there, right? exactly and right. So just to say, pursue Jesus. And lay this thing before him, and when you are ready, when the time is right, when you are equipped, I'm telling you, if I had met my wife yeah. before, when you know, we, I met her just before I turned 30. She actually threw my 30th birthday party for wow. me. If I had met her at 25, it would have been a disaster. Wow. It would have been a wreck. Neither one of us were ready yeah. for a real, committed, honest covenant relationship. Yeah. But God knew that, yeah. and he was working in us, and he was grinding away at our character and helping us process our baggage so that when the timing was right, in the fullness of time, fullness he, of time. he brought us together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, you're way better than that other girl I thought I wanted. And she said, I, I had, she was dating five guys at the time, and we had a countdown uh-huh. as we were going along saying, five, four, three, you're right, till we got down to I was the last man standing, and it <laughs> yeah. ended up being a great deal. But so just to say that Jesus can be trusted not just with your eternity, he can be trusted with your now. Absolutely. I, uh, last thing I would say is, you know, like we got married when I was 20, mm-hmm. so it's a little different program. And, you know, they say your 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 brain doesn't fully develop until you're 25. So I spent five years <laughs> underdeveloped as a husband. And, ask, your, uh, ask your wife. Ask Roseanne right? to tell you that. And, uh, and then you're 32. Mm-hmm. I remember Chuck Swindoll, who's a pastor, you know, he's uh-huh. been married forever, still pastoring in Dallas-Fort Worth area now. And oh, wow. he, he said they, they dated for six months and got married. And people said, why did you get married? Mar- married after dating for six months, he says, because uh, we 
we couldn't figure out how to do it after three months. You know? <laughs> so some people, right. you know, do it real quickly. And and I would also say, uh, again, this is in time, real time, but you can always go back to the mm-hmm. uh, our our messages. I'm doing three messages in this current series, Fit to Fight for the Family. Right. Uh, one called Single-Minded Singleness, mm-hmm. what the scripture talks about, the beauty of singleness, the calling yeah. of singleness, and, and the call in your life. I've got one called Finding the Right Person, what the Bible says about finding the right person. And then I got one that I think is the best. It's called Being the Right Person. And that's where you were alluding you to. Mm-hmm. It's one thing for you to find the right person, but I can tell you, uh, right. after even if you find the right person, uh, it's going to be incumbent upon you to be the right person, to be like Christ, perpetually right. growing in that relationship with Christ uh, for the sake of your mate. Yeah. And uh, that's going to be... So those are three messages you might yeah. want to check out. Well, and you're doing one this weekend on what is marriage, right? What is marriage, what yeah, is marriage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So... It's going to be a great resource for you. It'll be up there on the West Side, um, on our Facebook, not our Facebook, our YouTube page, and also on the um, westsidefamily.church. You can go down there and you can look up old series, mm-hmm. but really a wonderful resource for Find you. Find it on the app, too. That yeah, app on that, that app. Everything. We love that fabulous app. The podcast is really the best thing on the app, though. I mean, if we're being is, honest, yeah, really, yeah. I mean, it, it's just, you know, it's hard. To, it's the crowning jewel. <laughs> um, so uh, we got asked this a while ago, and we actually talked about this topic, and then... Um, it was at the end of the podcast, and it got cut off because we ran out of memory on our memory card. Oh. <laughs> so, so we're bringing it back. So that some poor soul out there asked about, what's the deal with Cain and Abel? Yeah. What actually happened there? And so we had this whole wonderful conversation, and no one will ever know. So we're going to take another stab at it here right, today and talk about Cain and Abel. So what really happened, and the and thing is, is most people have a hard time thinking, what why did God look on Cain's offering mm-hmm. with such disfavor? Why was it such a big deal? And then Cain lost his mind, right? And he mm-hmm. kills his brother. So going into Genesis chapter 4, I'm just going to read this passage for you. Um, so now Abel, right, the brother, kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. So one's a shepherd, right? One is a farmer. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Mm. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, you've used this before, I love Mm -hmm. this, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. Mm -hmm. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother and killed him. Mm. There's a lot there. And so the thing is, well, first of all, why does God reject Cain's sacrifice. This isn't about debate about whether farmers or ranchers are superior, right? It has more to do with the heart of the offering, really, than anything else. So in those days, people who worshipped uh, pagan gods with the surrounding nations, it wasn't uncommon for people to bring offerings of grain or offerings of slain animals as a sacrifice to their god. So God wasn't disappointed in Cain because he failed to provide the proper, you know, beans for, yeah. for the offering, right? It was... It was uh, it had more to do with the quality of his sacrifice revealed and the insincerity of his worship. So Cain's sacrifice, it says in the scripture there, was some of the fruits of the soil, yeah. right? Some of the mm-hmm. fruits of the soil. Abel's sacrifice comes from fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. Mm-hmm. In other words, the firstborn is mm-hmm. considered to be the best mm-hmm. of the flock. Cain offered the ordinary and Abel offered the best. Mm-hmm. And the quality of this offering reflects the condition of their hearts. So Abel is authentic in his worship, and 
you could say, while Cain is going through the motions. The author of Hebrews says this, By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous, and when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So Abel offered in faith, right? Clearly, this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. This was an offering of faith. And what does that mean? See, in the Bible, faith always is a response to God's grace or God's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Cain did not respond that way. Mm-hmm. It could be said that Cain was either given kind of like the second-hand offering. Maybe he was going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Or perhaps he was thinking like, well, check this out. I'm doing this wonderful thing for God. Shouldn't he reward me? Maybe it was more of a legalistic kind of a thing as opposed to a, a, a heart of gratitude, right? And bringing the best because of who God is as opposed to me trying to maybe earn God's favor. Yeah, right? I think that uh, it's very clear in the Old Testament that both types of offerings, you know, some are, are acceptable to God. You, you don't mm-hmm. have to just bring, you know, the, an animal sacrifice. You can right. bring grain. So, you know, that's acceptable. And it's I think it's super clear that that it's it, it's the quality of the offering that mm-hmm. um, that Abel brought the first fruits. And I think it would be similar to uh, giving, which we're gonna talk about in just mm-hmm. a minute, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that that first fruit concept carries over right. into the New Testament. And uh, the first not only means the best, but the first also means that you've prioritized yeah. in giving this first to God and that you're, you're, you're declaring a priority. And so uh, I think another practical way to say mm-hmm. it is um, Abel gave, you know, his first cut you know, so like if you make a paycheck, you give God right. the first the first gift before you your, pay all the other before bills. Before you pay, you yeah. give it, not even knowing if you can pay the other bills. Mm-hmm. And and uh, Cain gave God the leftovers. Yeah, and we can do that today in our own. And it's displeasing to God that we would not. Uh, honor him in that way. I think the concept of first fruits mm-hmm. is still a, is a New Testament principle that carries over. We should give God yeah. the first fruits. We should give first uh, to God, yeah. and uh, and then when we don't, that displeases God. And what happened was God uh, was um, was challenging him on it, mm-hmm. and Cain should have uh, received the challenge of God. Right. And he would have been fine. He could have responded so many different ways. He could. Yeah. And then I think th- this is where I think then the uh, bigger upper story. Mm-hmm. So in the lower, we've been talking about the lower story. Right. You know, from the upper story, though, I think what is being signaled here is that um, uh, is that uh, the sin nature of mm. Adam and Eve uh, ha- uh, through the seed of Adam has been automatically transferred to right. the offspring. And I think in the upper story, what it's showing is that uh, that sin nature uh, we're, we're one human being and with multiple persons within it, and all, consequently, uh, you know, through one man, we all die. Mm-hmm. And basically, I think it's signaling that it was successful that when Cain and Abel, when Adam and Eve had children, that their sin nature is automatically transferred to their offspring right. so that they have sin welling up within them, of which they still have to choose to act on it to be declared guilty, yeah. and that Cain is acting on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and ultimately, Abel was in the same spot. Abel was a sinner as well. Right. Abel had sin in him, and it's likely—I always say—it's likely if you know that you know could have mm-hmm. been reversed down the road. Mm-hmm. But the difference is that Abel, you know, offered a great sacrifice and wasn't challenged. Cain offered kind of some leftovers, and God was trying to correct him. Mm-hmm. Cain didn't respond because he has sin within him, and he could not help right. himself, and it led to right. uh, God's provision over his life, mm-hmm. but yet an abanish- a banishment. Yeah. Well, I mean, he could have responded with some humility. He could have said, yeah. well, 
I could learn something from my brother here, yeah. right? He could respond it with some a sense of repentance. It's like, you know, you're right, God. You see right through me. You know yeah. my heart. My brother did bring it in faith. He yeah. did bring it as an honest act of worship. I was just going through the motions. Yeah. But instead, what does he respond with? Resentment, yeah. envy. And God right? tried to help him. He, yeah. said, he said, hey, before you make this final decision, you right. know, <laughs> sin, sin is, is crouching at, at your door. door. And again, it's that picture yeah. of, a, of a wolf outside of the door. Right. And uh, and he's he's bent over and right. he's just waiting patiently, waiting, waiting. And but if you just crack that door open a little bit, he's going to pounce on the mm. door and come in and devour you. And wow. that's the way sin is. Yeah. And so if he just would have responded, and it's a lesson for us today in the lower story that uh, that we need to be able to receive constructive criticism when it comes to us mm-hmm. from God, from His Word, from pastors, from a mate, from a yeah. friend. We need to really humble ourselves because uh, pride creates right. disaster. Well, James 1.15 then says, Then after evil desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And if you look at the sin of resentment and envy, right, the natural trajectory mm-hmm. of that, if you linger in it, if you dwell in that, is destruction. Mm-hmm. It's it's murderous. Mm-hmm. And I mean, can you see that in our just our culture here today? Just how much of the chaos is driven by this envy and resentment that gets... Uh, inflamed and leveraged in a dozen different ways and people come at each other and it causes division and it causes violence and it causes hostility and God is saying guys don't let it have a foothold don't let that resentment don't let that envy don't let that that fact that maybe you feel like what you're bringing to the table was inadequate and you resent the fact that it was recognized as inadequate how about in humility we learn and we move forward we grow from the experience instead of pointing the finger at somebody else. Yeah, great word. So, so uh, Randy, yeah. you, you just kind of been alluding to this. I yeah. think this is a great segue yeah. is we're talking about this idea of offerings. And in the Old Testament, we have this pretty clear command in, in, mm-hmm. in the Levitical law about bringing God the first tenth, the mm-hmm. tithe, that's mm-hmm. what that word means, of your offerings as a sacrifice before mm-hmm. God. The question is... Is that a New Testament concept? Do we need to follow that same principle now? That's a great question, and I think a good question to be asked because one's uh, wanting to know what God expects of them. Mm-hmm. And it goes a little bit into the back to the Cain and Abel story in terms of first fruits and in the nature of our offerings to God. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one observation in the Old Testament is that the scriptures in the Old Testament does encourage us to give a tithe. But in reality, um, Israel was a theocracy, which means right. that their government and their faith was all wrapped up into one. So I think someone said that their overall uh, offering was about 27% because it included taxes and all kinds mm-hmm. of things within Israel. So it was more than 10%, but there was this sense of a tenth represents is a symbolic representation of giving your all. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a really big command within the New Testament is not just a tenth, but the first tenth, right. the firstborn mm-hmm. uh, of, of all your... All the way uh, back to Abel, right? Right. All the way back yeah. to Abel. So, uh, so we have that even before the creation of the law, mm-hmm. and uh, and you see uh, uh, in Abraham's encounter before the law with Melchizedek, you know, who's yeah. considered this unique priest mm-hmm. that sort of supersedes, you know, all of them because it's mentioned in the book of Hebrews that he right. is under the order of Melchizedek. It wasn't under the order of Levi, right. the uh, you know from from the tribes of Israel, and so there is a sense that that some make that the order of Melchizedek established the tithe as something that superseded the law and therefore carried over into the New Testament. Right. And uh, I uh, here's here's the view that I take, and and I'd like to present an alternative view. Um, 
uh, Robert Morris in his book, The Blessed Life, mm -hmm. uh, pre uh, presents a fairly spirit-filled, compelling argument for the New Testament teaching the tithe. Mm -hmm. uh, my particular point of view is when you read through the New Testament, um, you just don't see them explicitly right. talking about it. Now, it could be that it's an argument from silence and that the Jewish people are just simply yeah. carrying on that, mm -hmm. but you wonder why when the Gentiles are then grafted into the church mm -hmm. that in any of the epistles that the authors don't feel it necessary, as they have with other areas, right. to uh, instruct the Gentiles of the carryover of a Jewish practice of tithing. Right into the New Testament church. What you get into the, in, in my estimation, again, you know, uh, it, what I, is you get this idea that uh, the, the main topic uh, under, uh, uh, in the New Testament is one of grace, mm -hmm. is one of, of responding out of a sense of grace and, and also the word generosity. Right. And you're going to see a sense of generosity. So Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4, the people are giving, mm -hmm. you, know, uh, you know, out of what they had to give to the needs of others. You go to first, uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, or two, they're probably the, the most significant section of Scripture teaching about giving. Right. They're taking up an offering for the Jewish believers uh, in, um, in, in, the, in Jerusalem, uh, and and, uh, and basically, you, there's just a sense of generosity. Mm -hmm. And um, so here's what I think. I think that the, Old the New Testament uh, does not overtly teach the tithe, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and I'd love for you to disagree with that. Right. I do think the concept of first fruits carries mm -hmm. over, that what we do give should not just be the leftovers. And my father-in-law used to always say, who gave more than 10%, he said, mm -hmm. if in the Old Testament, under the law, we gave 10%, how much under the New Testament with grace do you mm -hmm. think we should give? It doesn't seem like it would be less than 10%. <laughs> and his point of view is that the New Testament gives you the permission to give more right. uh, because God's grace has set us free. Right. And so uh, if you're trying to ask this question as a legal way right. of getting you out of giving more, more, I loophole? think you're back to where Cain is at. <laughs> is that you got a motive problem, yeah, and you haven't fully exactly understood it. what Christ has done for you, and uh, and that and as Paul said, right. I want you to excel in this mm -hmm. grace of giving. And uh, as as believers, we should say, I'm not limited to 10, percent am I? Right, right. So if you're asking the tw question at, so as to get a, a a pass on being generous, you got some heart work to do that has right. nothing to do with generosity. Right. If you're asking the question, you got to ask. Why are you asking the question? That's right. Just be honest. Right. I mean, and the thing is, is, and I, I don't uh, disagree. Actually, I don't see any uh, New Testament mandate for specific ten percent tithe. I, like you said, I think the first fruit thing is very important. Mm -hmm. I think it's critical. But more than that, when you look at when Jesus addresses any Old Testament topic, he always raises the bar. It's like, look, you've heard it said, mm -hmm. but I'm telling you, yeah. and it's like you heard it said, uh, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm telling you, if you even look on a woman with yeah. lust in your heart, you committed adultery in your heart. It was like, well, good grief. Yeah. Who who can keep that, yeah. right? I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's just, if you, you know, you, you committed murder if you call your brother a fool. I mean, he just, he's all about the heart, and he's always raising the bar to, like, really impossibly high standards. Why? Because it's not because God needs your tenth. God wants all of you. What's the summation of the gospel? It's like you were bought with a price, mm -hmm. right? You, all of you, 
your whole life, your whole everything. Everything you have is a grace. Everything in your world is a grace. The breath in your lungs, the fact that you can think and move and create and work, all of those things are a gift from God. Mm -hmm. And so I think a tithe is a great guideline. Yeah, I do too. You know, and actually my, my wife and I, we've been using that as a guideline for a long time and we, we try to make it the first fruits of everything because it says something about where our security is, yeah. where our identity is. Mm -hmm. It's not in a paycheck, it's not in a job, it's not in a 401k, it's not in uh, our mortgage or house or where we live, anything. It's to say that you, this is, I'm pushing this across the table as another statement to say it doesn't own me. Yeah. It's a good spiritual discipline. And even though I think I think the tithe is not taught in the New Testament, and, and, and I do believe that it is a good goal to set, yeah. but not because it's law, uh, but because mm -hmm. I think t a tithe is, is, is a good place to shoot for. Yeah. But I do believe we're under the dispensation, oh, did I say that word? We're under the, uh, <laughs> we're under the season of grace yeah. that we're in, and uh, I think it really is calling you to to, to go all in to see the love of Christ yeah. and just really go like, I wonder just if there's a way I could give it all. I'll right. tell, you, uh, I've tell you a couple stories. I'll tell you two stories real quick and then we can move on if you're ready. Mm -hmm. Is uh, when I was, uh, before I became a pastor, I was in seminary and I was uh, working with this business guy and he becomes a believer and uh, and I'm working with him on their life vision, how to right. put the, instead of seeing, you know, uh, yourself at the top of the, the of the organizational chart and and your your family, your work, your hobby, and now you got God as another box, you know, and that you're at the top and you you've got this organizational chart yeah. that all reports into you. Now you got God, it's just your Sunday deal. Right. Uh, you got to put the Lord in the middle, draw it differently in uh -huh. the middle, and then all of these other things uh, are are surrounding it. And the Lord is the of your life is governing all these areas, including your money. And uh, so they were writing out a vision statement, and he came back, and uh, he was totally open. He was uh, to just like quit his job, you know, quit his work that he was doing. It wasn't really he's an entrepreneur. And he said, "Hey, I, I prayed and I listened to God, and he didn't say anything audibly to me, and he and he wrote it and, and put it in a, a bound book. And he said, uh, here's what I thought I heard. He said, he said, uh, his name's Mike. He said, uh, uh, God said, Mike, um, I gave you the ability to make money." and uh, I want you to continue to make as much money as you can legally. But uh, you don't need any more for yourself, for your wife, or your children. <laughs> so what I want you to do now is set up foundations, and from here on out, I want you to work all, with all your heart and give 100% of it away. That was 35 years ago. Oh my goodness. You can imagine, and he will tell you it's been the most fun life that he's ever had. Now he doesn't want for anything, but he, he, he and he lives a, a better life than I do in terms of the, <laughs> the place that he lives and all that. But it's nowhere near what, what he could have been if yeah. he would have just, you know, you know, you know, did it all on himself. And he said it's right. the most fun thing in the world. The second one is just a pastor I talked yeah. to uh, in Idaho. I'm going to go visit him here in September, and uh, he's been pastoring this church for 50 years. He's mm -hmm. in the 70s now, and he's getting ready to finish up uh, pastoring, and he wants me to come and speak. They're doing the story for the second time oh, wow. that I wrote, and yeah. he said, uh, and he said, uh, Randy, so when I first became a pastor and got my job, we decided to give 10%. Mm -hmm. He said, my wife and I decided that we'd continue to give 1% a year, every year, until God if God was faithful, he would give us the ability to do it. And we kept adding 1% every year. Oh, wow. And God was always faithful. And he said, I led this church through 15 
giving campaigns, which would drain my account and, you know, I'd keep right. giving money. And he said, I got to the end, you know, I've come to the end here. Mm-hmm. And I had purchased, uh, I had inherited a little piece of land uh, from my family. And it turned out that just recently that's become a major intersection. And they uh-huh. just bought this land. And I now have more money than I could have ever ever dreamed of. If I would have saved all the money that I made as a pastor and kept it for myself, I would not have the money I have now. <laughs> I've just bought a retreat, uh, a retreat place with 400 acres, and I still have a oh, lot of wow. money left over. I'm going to have other pastors come out who need a place yeah. to go if you need a place to go. And he was weeping on the phone mm-hmm. telling me this story of God's faithfulness. And so I do know that God looks on our heart, mm-hmm. not the percentage. He looks on our heart, and he's wanting to see that we get it. And, yeah. and the more we get it, the more he gives to us. Uh, I think to oh, uh, to bless others. Well, and it's, you know the principle is you can't outgive God, right? Right? You can't outgive Him. He He's one who fills your cup. And I just, you know, you hear these stories. It's like magnificent stories like this. And I just let me just tell you one quick thing. That's for those of you who are who are really young and you're going, you know, I don't. I mean, I. My son just started a job working at Grand Street Cafe over here washing yeah. dishes, right? All right. And uh, when you're young and you feel like you're making nothing, and then you get your check, and then uh, why did FICA, who's this FICA guy taking <laughs> all my money? And you go, well, how does this thing work? And let me just tell you for myself, when I was in, I was young in my 20s, right out of college, and I'm just scratching, trying to live. I got like three roommates in a place in Pasadena. I'm working as a musician in Los Angeles. I'm waiting tables. I'm doing... Uh, you know, day work in production. I'm doing temp agency work, just anything, just like I want to eat and like, you know, pay my student loan and my rent. And that's kind of like all I was doing. And, um, and I would like, I would go and I would work a day at like a production on a commercial or something. I'd make a hundred bucks. And I remember being in my little church there and just going, you know, here you go, God, here's my 10 bucks. (laughs) And I felt so great about Mm -hmm. that. It's like, you know, and I, I can't tell you how many times I got to the end of the month and I do not know how I made it. Right. I don't know how I ate all month. I couldn't figure it out. But I just, I just, I was committed. I'm going to be faithful. God is. I'm just going to say yes. And so I'm giving my ten percent, and that was my guideline. It was my tithe. It wasn't a New Testament mandate, but it's just something I was doing. And you know, I make 150 bucks. Here's 15 dollars. I go back Sunday at my church. Yeah, man, I felt great about that. It's like I'm doing the work here, you know. And then I got a, I got a gig. I was saying for this guy named Ray Conniff, and I went on tour in Brazil for like five weeks. Wow. I came back, I had $5,000 cash, right? No FICA guy getting my money out of that, yeah. right? And so, and, and all of a sudden, I'm like, wait, $500? I'm going to get $500 on Sunday? And it's like, you know, it was easy, that 10% when it was 10 bucks. That's right. But suddenly, I'm like, I, I'm getting a little queasy mm-hmm. when it suddenly it's $500. And so I just want to tell you, when you're faithful with a little, mm-hmm. God can trust you with more. When you're faithful with a little more, he can trust you with mm-hmm. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those life principles that God can be trusted, and he will expand your tent stakes. He will expand your influence. He will expand your resources as you prove yourself to be faithful with the things he's put in your hands today. Yeah, that's great. So, um, <laughs> so this is a really, really common question that people yeah. bring all the time. And I know you're going to have some great uh, responses to this, Randy. Someone has asked, is anxiety a sin? Mm-hmm. So if you deal with worry, you deal with fear and anxiety, is it sinful? My own mother, and it's like I talked to her on the phone. She's 77 years old. And she's Troy. It's like, I'm so sorry. I feel like I'm so unfaithful to God. I worry about everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, and she feels like she's being unfaithful. Some people act as if it's a sin. And so what the, what does the Bible say about anxiety? Is anxiety a sin? And 
I'm going to say, and you might disagree, so I'd love to hear what you think. Mm -hmm. The short answer, I would say, is no. Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. So anxiety is not a sin. It could be a symptom of other sins, right? Anxiety, fear, and worry are all somewhat related. And fear is an emotional response to a perceived immediate threat, Mm -hmm. right? Anxiety is an emotional response to a real perceived uh, future threat. Mm -hmm. But they're both... Uh, an emotional response to something that could hurt you. So the Bible talks all the time about fear, and we're often, very often, encouraged to, to fear not. Why? Because we humans are pretty fragile little creatures, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's like it's like all of creation is in a conspiracy to kill us. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't even have fur, you know, to protect ourselves. We don't have good hooves. You know, we got to mm-hmm. find you. We got to make stuff to cover our bodies in. We have to construct shelters. We got to do all this stuff just trying to survive. Like, you know, some virus develops and it's trying to kill off humanity. It's right. like, it seems like everything is conspiring against us. So no wonder we're anxious. And then you add the complication of things like finances, uh, in laws, and the inevitability of taxes and death. And you have a certain amount of anxiety that is the natural state of being a human being. So uh, I know Randy and I, we kind of are a little bit kind of Enneagram nerds, you know, and I appreciate the Enneagram quite Mm -hmm. a bit. It's sort of this uh, personality typology, if you're not familiar with it. And what the Enneagram would tell you is roughly 50% of the population are what are called sixes. Mm -hmm. And sixes are motivated by stability and or fear, Mm -hmm. right? So... I just remember when I would teach on the weekends at Westside, I would stand in front of the congregation and I would look, probably about half of these people in the room right now are mm-hmm. dealing with significant anxiety and fear. Mm-hmm. It's fair to say that that's the position yep. they're coming from. And as, as a leader, as a shepherd, a pastor, I try to encourage and address that. So, um, so depending on the context, fear and anxiety could be a God-given emotional response that benefits us, right? It can keep you out of the ditch. You don't want to. You don't want to run off the road because you're afraid you might get hurt, and that is a legitimate fear. Um, it keeps us on the lookout for predators. Satan is described as a lion roaming around, seeking whom he may devour. Right? It gives you a certain situational awareness. So, an awareness of a fragile, precarious position apart from Christ can create a healthy urgency and a situational awareness. So. Some people also have a physiological response to circumstances that could be disordered, but not really sin. Like it could be a psychological issue or a psychochemical issue that you're dealing with uh, in your own body that makes you more anxious than other people. Uh, Proverbs 21 says this, I love this. Hmm. So the wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. In other words, if we live in direct rebellion against God, if we live in direct conflict with our design, as human beings, we're going to live with a certain amount of anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. The liar has to tell more lies to cover up the lies to get away with the original lie, right? right? The thief (laughs) has got to deceive and he's got to hide in order to keep from getting caught. You know, if someone is cheating on their spouse, you get the point, right? Um, But if you're living righteously, if you're living in alignment with your created design as a child of God, right? Well, that, there's no fear. There's no anxiety attached to that. So sometimes that anxiety might be just a result of a lack of uh, surrender or submission to God, 
you might be covering something up and God is re- turning on the heat to kind of bring it to the surface. Do you think that makes sense? No, I do. I think actually, I, 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 um, only thing I could do would be to simply restate everything you just stated. And I, so I won't do that because I thought that was just a great balance uh, uh, to the subject of anxiety and not uh, creating a cl- you know cliche answers mm-hmm. out of it. Um, you know, my opinion of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Yeah. Um, if, right. If, if anxiety, I mean, right. it, you, I mean, the only way you could get away from the fact that he wasn't anxious is you're just going to use a different word for it. Uh-huh. But you know, he's sweating drops of blood, right. and he says, "I am just, I'm just, I'm just really." I mean, he mm-hmm. he cried out. I mean, I'm like, I am like really struggling. I can't remember the exact words right. he says he now. He goes back to God and asks three times. Yeah, let this cup pass from me. I am like just I am just so distraught. Right. So you can maybe call it something else, but that's just playing games in my submission. Jesus experienced anxiety. <laughs> right. I think the second thing I just want to reiterate cuz uh is, is that sometimes it is a biological mm-hmm. uh neurological kind of thing. Uh so some of it is uh there there, there can be something uh, yeah. that's not right just like something cannot be right with your gallbladder, something mm-hmm. cannot be right with the way your chemistry is really working out. Mm-hmm. Your neurons are, fly, are hitting, and number three is that um, some of the uh, anxiety, if you want to call it that, is uh, is is a, is a gift from God. You know, mm-hmm. like when the lion jumps out, you know, right. of the jungle. You know, um, the the you know immediately your brain drops into the lower story to the amygdala, right. you know, where, where it's <laughs> your lizard fight brain. or flight, yeah, and yeah. it immediately sends a signal That's right to the top yeah. of our kidneys with uh-huh. the adrenal gland and the cortisol, and it releases it and gives us the, I mean, I mean, there's certain kinds of things. Now, um, there is... Uh, you know, there is the the thing about the present, but then there's also the people that worry about the future. Right. And I think that's a bit of a different thing, a little mm-hmm. bit of a different thing. But then you realize that 50% of the world have been sort of designed with this Enneagram style. Mm-hmm. I'm not one of them. Right. And, uh, and so uh, I don't carry that particular burden, mm-hmm. but I have experienced anxiety that has come from a trauma right. in my life that's made me more sympathetic to people who live with it yeah. in a more chronic sense. And I know you have a lot more to say because mm-hmm. I'm looking at some of the notes you have there. <laughs> I won't, I won't steal your I'm thunder. I'm not trying there. to. Try I to want to hurry. steal your thunder there, no, but no uh, but uh, but I I do believe that uh, I, I do believe that we have to look at this holistically, mm-hmm. and the scriptures doesn't want us to live in our anxiety, right. and that thinks uh, you know that's where right. there's a lot of information in the scripture about how to right. deal and cope with anxiety. Yeah, well, at times too, we might have I w- what I would say is a sinful ish response to God's providential care. So mm-hmm. this is anxiety that can result because we lack a trust in God, yes, right. right? So there's it, 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 uh, Jesus says in Luke 12, don't worry about your life, what you eat, about your body, what you will wear, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. So I don't know if I would go as far as to say it's a sin as much as it is maybe a small, uninformed view of God. Yeah. Right. So, in other words, I like. Well, I think I trust him with my eternity. I'm not sure I trust him with with my now. I'm not sure he's really for me. I'm not really sure he's a good father. I'm not sure he's got my back. And so, the smaller your view of God, the more likely you are to want to really rely on your own resources. Yeah. And your res- your own resources are. A little rough. Yeah, I would tell you that when I experienced a, 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 a bout of depression and anxiety that I've talked very openly mm-hmm. about, particularly in His Mighty Strength and messages at Oak Hills, it was a eight month. It was. It turned out to be episodic, but at one point it felt like it was going to be chronic. Uh, I think where the mistake was is that when the initial sense of trauma from betrayal went down to my amygdala, the lower part of my brain, mm-hmm. the downstairs, uh, is that I made one mistake. Uh, 
uh, a particular mistake that I look back on now, and that is, is I tried to solve the mm. betrayal in my own strength, and I've got to fix this. Yeah. And uh, then I went to work on fighting, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that it, it, it really messed me up. Where I met a gal from our congregation uh, last night at the worship, or two nights ago at the mm-hmm. worship and prayer event, she has cancer. She's wearing the ball oh, cap, right. you know, and uh, you know she doesn't know if she's going to make it or not. But she has renewed her mind mm. in in the sense of God's got me on this. I got a no lose situation. If people will come to know the Lord from this, this will be great. And I'm just up for the adventure. And uh, I talked to her long enough to try to sort of wiggle out to see if this was just like she's just making stuff up. <laughs> right. But I like it was it, a good good front. Yeah, it was. And I think at the end of the day, I walked away a bit unnerved by her faith. Yeah. Because I think her faith has caused her to rise above the fear of cancer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, that's what God offers right. to us. And uh, if I had chosen that, maybe I would have avoided, maybe I would have avoided right. uh, the situation I was in. Yeah. Well, Philippians 4 says this, be anxious mm-hmm. for nothing. Mm-hmm. Be anxious for nothing. Well, that's easy to say, right? Mm-hmm. But in everything, mm-hmm. by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That that submission of the the issue, that submission of the concern, of the anxiety to Him, and saying, "Okay, I'm going to trust you with this, and let His peace reign in your heart." Paul writes his apostle Timothy, "You are not given us uh, a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind." Right? It's this the fear not like the biblical authors say at least 365 times in Scripture. So. Our job is to daily place our trust in Jesus and then let him have the consequences. So, so in, this is my opinion. The greater revelation you have of his love, the greater your trust for him is going to be. Mm-hmm. Lean into him and don't believe the lies. Don't believe the tapes. Don't believe all of the negativity that the enemy wants to mm-hmm. whisper in your ear. Because if that's one of your Achilles heels, if you're a worry person, mm-hmm. the enemy is going to leverage that all day long. And for you, it's going to take a disproportionate amount of effort to say, okay, God, um, our Father who is in heaven, right? Hallowed be your name. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, uh, you know, give us our daily bread. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. You, you're my provider. You're my protector. You're everything for me. I'm going to have to focus on that all day long. Lean into him. John tells us in his letter in the first chapter of John, uh, it says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So if fear is the focal point, if all your energy is focused on the problem, it will breed more fear. If Jesus is the focal point, he will diffuse that fear. See, perfect love drives out fear. And the only place you're going to find perfect, unconditional, eternal, extravagant love is in the eyes of the Savior. (laughs) Because the scripture says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yeah. You know, and the only thing I would add to that is the uh, verse immediately following the Philippians 4, 6, six and 7, seven yeah. is the it, the admonishment in addition to your prayer with thanksgiving, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. You offer your petition to God. Well, God, I'm scared. Would you please save me from this? Right. But you also re- rehearse and thank him for what is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that, that next verse says, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things right. are lovely, whatsoever things, think on these things. Right. And uh, again, I think the person that's, uh, that all of us, but particularly the person that's been predispositioned toward worry, mm-hmm. you've got to, pers- you got to send a large a, a, a larger percentage of time right. maybe journaling or thinking about the things that are good and right, right and, 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 and in your life. And, um, and I think that 
the scripture says that's going to help you. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that. Yeah, just keep it, get your head up, right? Get right. your eyes up, rise above, and understand that you are loved by an eternal, compassionate, good Father. Mm. Um, so, just to kind of conclude here for today, we got one last question, and this this is a it's a very serious question. We this is actually submitted by uh, a friend of mine who's lost her husband um, a couple of years ago, and um, he, he took his life, mm-hmm. and uh, you know obviously that's unbelievably painful and traumatic for everyone mm-hmm. uh, who loved him. And so, but we you know periodically this kind of thing comes up, and we're just asking ourselves, you know, what is the Christian view of suicide? Even in Catholicism, there's there are question marks there mm-hmm. about is suicide an unforgivable sin? Mm-hmm. And so, Randy, if you wouldn't mind just just giving us a little bit of a of a perspective on that, that would yeah, be I'll give helpful. a bit of a perspective from the Bible. I think it would it's it's really great to hear your answer uh, to questions like these from guys like Rick Warren, mm-hmm. you know, who was a dad, who's a, a renowned pastor, loves the Bible, right. you know, that lost his son uh, to suicide. And when you hear him tell the story, it just really puts a different uh, a different sort of empathy and twist on it, and yeah. a real uh, a, a real a real a real understanding of where his son was coming from, suffering from mental illness mm-hmm. all of his life. And uh, and I think that's really important. So there is the emotional side of yeah. a suicide. And the number, I've done a number, maybe 10 or 12 suicide funerals, and uh, all of them of people that I knew. And uh, none of them were, um, uh, they were, they were weak, they were tired. Most of them suffered from mental illness. Uh, mm-hmm and they just couldn't handle it anymore. I, I don't personally know anybody who did it to be vengeful or right. whatever. I know there's probably situations like that that are doing it artistically or whatever the thing is. And so in some ways it might be sin because they did it, you know. But most of the cases I know is that people were in despair. They woke up one day, vast majority of suicides are not planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, they wake up one day, they're in a pit, they can't see any way out. They're convinced that it's gonna help their family if they don't have to deal with the burden yeah. of them anymore. And just in a moment of almost compulsion, they they do it. That, as I understand, is the majority of it. But from a biblical perspective, there's just no sense in the scriptures. Right. I don't want to I don't want to say this in a way that would, might encourage somebody that it's okay to do it. Right. Um, but there's just you can't find a scripture. You have to kind of work your way through it. The unforgivable sin mm-hmm. in the in the teachings of Jesus is the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, right. which I think we're going to do an episode uh, maybe next season yeah. on as a relates to eternal security and what maybe blaspheming the Holy Spirit might mean. At the end of the day, at the very least, it means uh, that you're going to, that the Holy Spirit has been convicting your heart because you can't come to Christ apart from the Mm -hmm. Lord drawing you closer to the conviction work of the Holy Spirit, and you just basically finally just uh, flip the Holy Spirit off and say, I don't believe in you, stop convicting me, I don't want anything Mm -hmm. to do with this, and that ultimately the unforgivable sin ultimately is disbelief in God. Right. But there's no scripture that says that that, uh, the, that suicide is the unforgivable sin. I think within the Catholic faith, mm-hmm. I think the idea is that because you, you have to continue, it, it, like in the Protestant faith... Right. confession. Uh, yeah, yeah, in the Protestant faith, we believe that, uh, you know, that when we trust Christ, we're forgiven of our past, present, and future sins, right. and that's it, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and we sin, and so we ask God to forgive us our sins, and he does. But in the... Um, 
in the Catholic Church, as I understand it, uh, that the you, that Christ is the forgiver of your sins, but you have to keep appropriating that through mm-hmm. receiving of the Holy Communion through the Catholic Church. Right. And so the idea that if someone uh, has committed suicide right. and they hadn't been to confession, then uh, you know mm-hmm. they hadn't appropriated. Uh, that last, they had right. appropriated God's grace in their last confession, and therefore um, they were in a sinful state. They're in a sinful yeah. state, and they're either they either go to Hades or they go to purgatory, right. one or the other. So I think that's where the idea came from. Mm-hmm. But just looking purely at the sixty-six books of Scripture, and particularly right. the twenty-seven in the New Testament, uh, there's just no uh, sense of that. Not in any way to encourage somebody that might be listening who's suffering from uh, a mental illness that just won't let yeah. go of its, uh, you know, I think that there, you, you have to trust God uh, and follow his plan. You have to be in community. You've got to go to your doctors. You have mm-hmm. to keep trying to find the medicine. you got to you got to keep fighting the good fight right. and knowing that God has a purpose for you. But Ben, when I heard, was it Ma- Matthew? Is that the name yeah, of uh, Rick Warren's name. son? When I heard Rick talk about his son and how much his son loved God and how much his son helped people with mental illness and then just, I guess, woke up one day right. and just you know couldn't do it, my heart goes out to them. And to say that that is the unforgivable sin just doesn't match up right. with the character of God for me. I, I agree with you. I don't think there's any way you can scripturally rationalize that, but... I would say this too. I was actually just in California um, a little while ago, and uh, I was staying with a couple there whose uh, adult daughter had taken her life, mm. and just just a few months ago, mm. and um, they were still deeply grieving, and they were still they were willing to host me in their home. It was mm. extraordinary, and um, we were uh, we were at a service, and actually I got to see Rick Warren minister yeah. to them mm. out of his hurt mm-hmm. to their present hurt. And uh, just to say this to any of you who've experienced a loss of someone who has taken their life, and um, and you know you could you could guess all day long about what their motives are, what caused it, what could you have done, what didn't you do, what could have happened, you know all those you can do all that all day long. But here's at the end of the day, you get to grieve, yeah. you get to have your process, and no one else gets to impose how fast it should be or how long it should be or what intensity it should be. It's it's your loss and you have the latitude and the right to process it appropriately. Um, and at the same time, you are, I would challenge you and encourage you and just want to bless you to say you can lean into the heart of the Savior, the heart of a father who lost a son um, but saw that son on the other side mm-hmm. to say that all this hurt and all the injustice and the evil and the lies and the fact that Satan was celebrating the loss of that life, we know that that's not the last word, that there is victory in an empty tomb and that your loved one is experiencing a victory they had not anticipated on the other side, as if they have their faith and their trust in Jesus. And for you, you can trust that God has got their eternity in his hands. And as much as it hurts us here on this side, Mm -hmm. and as much as you get to have your process, Um, lean into that truth, mm-hmm. the things that you know are true that transcend even what you're feeling in the moment. Yeah. Um, That's good stuff. So, you guys, we uh, this is the last 
episode of this particular season of the podcast. It's just been such a joy for us to get to share you, you from our hearts and from the scripture. And hopefully this is something that's a blessing and an encouragement and an equipping tool for you that you can refer to anytime. If you have a friend mm-hmm. or a relative or somebody that has a question about a certain topic, hopefully we're creating a library mm-hmm. of different topics that we're trying to address in accessible ways and at the same time, mm-hmm. things that are fairly complex. So we love to hear from you. You have any ideas for future topics. If you have questions, you can find us at westsidefamilychurch.com. You can get me, T. Kennedy, at westsidefamily.church. Look for me on Facebook. Friend me on Facebook. Brandy would love to be your friend on Facebook, (laughs) Instagram, all of your social media platforms, but we love to hear from you, and we want this to be a helpful uh, tool for you. We want it to be a blessing for you. So, Randy, thanks again, my friend, for all your wisdom and all your input. God bless you guys, and we look forward to season four of the Westside Podcast. We hope the conversation has challenged you and perhaps sparked some new ideas. If you'd like some additional notes and helpful links, visit the episode page at westsidefamily.church slash podcast. And if you have questions, we'd love to hear them. Our last episode of the season, we'll devote an entire show to your questions. So you can also tell us what topics you'd like to hear and discuss in the future. Thank you for joining us today and God bless you.